Hi, I'm Josh White, and you're listening to Left to Burn, the podcast of the Battleground. This is a new series just for 2024, in which I'll be covering the run-up to the UK general election, the campaign itself, and its inevitable aftermath. As always, the aim will be to break with conventional wisdom, question the mainstream media's narratives, and generally cast a sceptical eye on all things from Westminster. Whether it's whatever Rishi Sunak is saying, or whether it's whatever Keir Starmer is saying, especially when they're quite similar. So far we've seen that the government and all the opposition parties are treating this entire year very much as the election campaign, even though the election itself might not be held until as late as November or even December. Under UK law, the election has to be held by January 2025, but it could be called at any moment due to political expediency. There was a lot of speculation that the election could actually be held by May, but this has been killed off by Rishi Sunak, who clearly prefers that the election be held in the second half of the year. This is obviously to preference his agenda in terms of granting him greater time to meet some of the various impossible pledges he has made, particularly around immigration and healthcare and the cost of living crisis. In the meantime, we've seen Reform UK hold its first major press conference of the year, featuring multi-millionaire Richard Tice, sparing no time at all in talking up the possibility of an alternative right-wing populist challenge to the Tories. However, there's one problem. Nigel Farage is absent. Fresh from the jungle, Farage has not made up his mind about his plans for this year. He may still rejoin frontline politics. It's hard to imagine Farage will be able to resist the opportunity to take the fight to the Tories and secure what may be a political realignment within the party. It's also an opportunity for him to play the equivalent of Donald Trump as the US election race intensifies. This prospect may prove to be irresistible, and yet Nigel Farage has not made his move. He has not made his decision. And the messaging around this for now is that he is a master of political timing, and he is merely waiting for the right moment. However, it's much more likely that he is weighing up the pros and cons of entering the political battlefield at this time. After all, it's not particularly clear what Reform UK's mobilising agenda will actually achieve. Does it just exist to force the Conservative Party further and further to the right? If so, the strategy it undertakes may need clarification. Richard Tice favours taking on the Conservatives in its southern heartlands and neglecting the Red Wall, or so-called Red Wall heartland, that was stolen from the Labour Party in 2019. Big question for Reform UK is whether Farage will go along with the Thai strategy. It's not just about whether Farage joins, it's whether the party will be willing to cut another deal with the Conservatives. And right now it appears that Thais favours an all-out strategy to win as many seats as possible, even if it means denying Conservatives' victories in key areas. It's worth remembering that Nigel Farage took a very different strategy in 2019, when he cut a deal, effectively, to hand over a whole series of electoral victories to Boris Johnson. 
in exchange, in the hope of securing a hard Brexit deal. And indeed, that is what happened. This is why some people are even joking, and sometimes speculating not so jokingly, that Nigel Farage may be looking to get a Tory seat, and even become leader of the Conservative Party, having left it and waged war upon it for decades. The seemingly absurd, yet somehow not implausible scenario sums up where we are in the UK today. The Tories are a moribund party with a moribund leader. How did we get here exactly? In short, the Conservative Party put its electoral strategy before everything else, including economics. The hard Brexit deal was incompatible with the kind of financial neoliberalism that the Tories have been running on for 40 years, and they have already ran out of ideas for a potential alternative model. For a brief moment, it looked like Boris Johnson was determined to transform the Tory party agenda into economic nationalism, based on infrastructure investment and perhaps even the attempt to develop a high-wage, high-productivity economy. However, for all the hot air, ultimately, Boris Johnson was a failure, and his regime went down in ignominy thanks to its own malfeasance and authoritarian incompetence. The Covid pandemic came and went, and so did Boris Johnson. Perhaps the less said, the better. And then came Liz Truss. Her reign may have only lasted 49 days, but her legacy is still with us in the form of high interest rates and high yields on UK debt. These are the two long-lasting results of the financial crisis she very nearly triggered by her uncosted tax cuts for the rich agenda. The combination of high interest rates and the cost of living crisis, driven by inflation, partly thanks to COVID, partly fuelled by the Ukraine war, has exposed the fragility of the Tory electoral coalition. Many Conservative voters who have been insulated from the worst of austerity for the last 10 years or more are now exposed to ever higher prices, crumbling public services and the feeling that everything is rotten. Worst of all, there's no guarantees about pensions or even rising house prices. And Rishi Sunak, the man brought in to stabilise everything after the trust fiasco, appears worse than useless. Sunak is so insubstantial as a politician that he needs to rely on David Cameron to give his government the appearance of competence and credibility. I say appearance because very few people buy it. He doesn't seem to know what he's doing and wants to have it both ways. He wants to be a populist and he wants to be a technocrat. While his politics are a mix of post-fatterism meets hard Brexit culture wars, his appearance is very much of the suave public relations man or Goldman Sachs banker. But he has managed to consistently disappoint the people who favour a kind of hard-right cultural politics in the UK 
and the people who favour a return to liberal Toryism. He is attempting. He may want to be both, but he can't be both. He needs to pick a side. Though it looks too late to turn things around. Hard-right Tories are quietly hoping for a Labour victory as an opportunity to reconsolidate their hold on the party. Interestingly, this strategy has a lot in common with Reform UK. And this brings us to the Labour Party. Keir Starmer has benefited massively from the Liz Truss moron premium. Although the party's poll lead is still so significant he could talk up radical change, he still maintains a small-c conservative strategy of calling for fiscal prudence, warding off talk of tax hikes, and generally trying to reassure the right-wing media that he is indeed their man. So far, so good. The end of the Corbyn project in 2019 has repeatedly been used to defend Starmer's strategy of taking up right-wing positions and moving the Overton's window further and further to the right. This recently even extended to defending a unilateral attack on Yemen as part of the efforts to clean up the fallout from the Gaza war. Another area where we find Keir Starmer is conveniently uncritical of the government's line but not just uncritical. He caused a great deal of outrage among Muslim communities across the country, as well as among the ranks of the Labour Party, by seeming to defend Israeli policy when it came to cutting off water and food and electricity to the Gaza Strip. And this is from the leader of the Party of Organised Labour. The space for opposition has been foreclosed, so while Starmer prattles on, about sensible politics, people protesting against Israel's war on Gaza are slandered as anti-Semites. Meanwhile, the reality for most people is that nothing works and everything is expensive. But they know who to blame for that. So when it comes to the ballot box, whenever the election is held this year, most people will more than likely vote to throw out the Tories. The end of Tory misrule looks increasingly inevitable. But what will replace it? Most likely a stagnant Labour government with few ideas and even fewer principles. All the big questions, such as climate change, war and class, will be put aside in the name of fiscal conservatism and respectability politics. Starmer's mandate is simply to win for its own sake. His agenda, much like Boris Johnson's, is simply to occupy high office as an end in itself. As one dead Labour politician once remarked, socialism is what Labour governments do. Likewise, anything that Starmer does is by definition progressive, especially when it isn't. So we're expected to vote for him no matter what, because he's anti-Tory and therefore by virtue of being anti-Tory, he is the solution. Anyone who questions this can expect to face a finger-jabbing question. What do you want the Tories back in? This is blackmail, pure and simple. Nevertheless, at the battleground, we will be taking apart Keir Starmer's politics at every turn. 
because that's what's merited. Likewise, we'll be taking apart the Tories at every turn. Since Keir Starmer has denied the country an opposition, it's important for the media to provide some opposition. And since the mainstream media is doing a terrible job at that, we might as well step in. The Battleground has a lot planned for 2024, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening. This was Left to Burn.